Good morning, church. Get this here. I know we've talked about it before, but I sure love the Sundays where we literally have the mission of the church standing in front of the church. It's not, you know, one of the central missions of this church is to invest in the next generation, whether it is our youth or whether it is our college students that are starting to fill up a little bit over here. And you'll know over the next couple of weeks, if you're just new to us, next couple of weeks, Brian will be leading us as we are putting AFC front and center and what God's doing through that work and so excited about all of that. We thought it would be helpful leading up to this time where these core central missions of our church are, are kind of relaunching again for the new year to think about last week a bit and then this week, one of the most important promises we've been ever given in Scripture. Uh, it, it starts in Genesis 12, but this is where we've been looking the last couple of weeks at this renewal of a promise that God made to Abraham, because I believe that promise is not just about what God was doing in the Old Testament. As you see, it is the central promise that God continues to old, unfold throughout human history. It reminds us of our purpose, our mission when we go into the schools, when we go into the workplace, as we interact with the world. It's our mission and purpose, but also it's an opportunity for us to think about how is it that we can keep our footing in an uncertain and crazy and fearful world? Just kind of look at the news, right? the uncertainty and fear that we have in our world today, and we can have the grounding in the purpose and the power of the promise of God. So that's what we've been trying to look at the last couple of weeks. If you have your Bibles or your devices on which you read, we are in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, last week, we saw the introduction of this renewal of the Abraham promise. Quick one-line summary of the promise. God said, I'm going to bless the world through you. I'm going to bless the whole world through the covenant people of God and the line of Abraham. And last week we saw that part of the promise where God speaks the blessing that he's going to bring through a child and renews that covenant there in that famous line where Abraham chooses to trust that. And God says, I'm going to credit that as righteousness. I'm crediting that as what it means to belong to this covenant community. But it leaves off halfway through, and so we're going to pick up the second half of this covenant renewal moment. This is the word of the Lord, Genesis 15, picking up in verse 7. God also said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. Behold, a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, behold, a smoking firepot 
and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I learned at a pretty early age to pay attention to the power of a deal. Maybe you had an experience like this one way or another. That, that understanding grew over time, but I learned very, very early in life. My sister was five years older than I was. And I remember, I suspect the first time that it happened was probably a day when the familiar sound of the ice cream truck was riding through the neighborhood. And my sister realized she didn't have enough money to get the ice cream that she wanted. And so she, on more than one occasion, would come into my room and she would say, now I'm going to trade you this shiny, beautiful coin for that dirty green piece of paper. You get what she's doing? She's literally trading coins for cash. And so sometimes that coin was, you know, five cents or 10 cents. Every now and then I get lucky and get a quarter. But, you know, I'm trading away, not even knowing I'm doing it. A dollar bill, five dollar bill. And she made a really good deal. <laughs> I made horrible one. Power of a deal. We get that sense early on, but it grows over time. I remember when I went to law school, one of my favorite classes that I took there was called ADR, Alternative Dispute Resolution. Different ways to save time, save money, not going through the whole court process, trial process. And my favorite part of that, you know, it was arbitration and, and mediation, all that, but my favorite part was a section on negotiation. And I remember a big old thick red book, and they had us read about experiences of people working out the power of a deal when people could come together in a win-win situation and really make a difference in the world. One of the things we studied was the Camp David Accords. So President Carter would spend a lot of time in Edgerton to do some brilliant negotiation to bring some little bit of peace between Israel and Egypt and the Middle East. And we studied Ronald Reagan, President Gorbachev and Ended in the Reykjavik summit and some other things that he did, trying to bring just a little whisper of peace, de-escalating our nuclear, uh, potential nuclear war and all of that. And some brilliant techniques that he did, even in the way he showed up, that gave postures of strength that he could then work off of to try to bring some peace. It was fascinating to me because there was incredible power. A deal cannot just uh, make a, a nice moment for a kid on a summer day. A deal done well can literally change the world. And that's why we're looking here at this passage because God gives us and shows us a deal that he makes with Abraham and future sons and daughters of Abraham by faith that literally is changing the world. And if we look into this, we'll get a sense of why we're here on the planet, what is our purpose and mission, and also it'll give us some fuel for navigating and negotiating those fearful and uncertain places of life. So what do we learn from this passage here about the promise of God? The first thing, and again, this is reinforcing something we said last week, but the structure and flow of the text hits it twice, so I need to too. What you see in the very beginning of the passage is God reaffirms there will be struggle and darkness, listen, even in the middle of God's promise. There will be struggle and there will be darkness even when you're right in the center of the purpose of God and you're right in the center of the promise of God. There's still going to be struggle. There's still going to be darkness. It will still be difficult. 
We mentioned this last week, I'll say it again. There's a flow to the text in both sections, one through six, and then here, seven through the end. It starts with God giving this outrageous promise, which he's already made, he's just renewing it. And then Abram starts with a question and with doubt and with struggle that God does not condemn, he honors it. Last week, we saw God renewing the part of the promise that says, you're going to have a kid, you're going to have a child, and through that child's going to change the world. And Abram says, what can you give me? You've given me money and military might, but I'm beyond 75 years old and I have no child in sight. And so God reaffirms that part. And that was a faithful question we said last week. More on that in a moment. And here, God says, now I'm going to give you a land. It's the land part of the promise. It's not about just conquering territory. God says, I'm going to use this plot of ground to be the launching pad of my blessing for the whole earth. And that's why there's this reference to the sin of the Amorites and all of that. God's judgment waits four generations in his patience to carry it out. He's not showing favoritism. He's moving these people in such a way that he can place his covenant people to bless the whole world. And Abram, I love it, is willing to ask a hard question. He said, how can I know that I'm going to gain possession of the land? We said last week, and I'll say it again. There's a difference between those questions and doubts and struggles that we bring to God that are faithless. We call them Zechariah kind of questions. If you look at Luke 1, God, I can't really believe that you would even be able to do this. That's a faithless question. Instead of a Mary-like question that says, God, I can't imagine how you're going to do it. I trust that you can, but can you help me with this? I don't know how that's going to happen, but I'm going to trust that you do. Remember the last verse that we looked at last week. It says, Abram believed God. He trusted him, and God credits that as belonging to the covenant community. But he still, hear me, as the father of faith, as one who is credited by God as being faithful, he still can ask a hard question. How can I know? And again, in a Jewish culture, not Jewish yet, in a Semitic culture there, in an ancient Near Eastern culture, they are very visible, tangible evidence, some way of kind of holding on to something even before the promise happens. God, can you help me know? And God honors that. So hear me, it is okay to ask questions. It's okay to struggle even in the middle of the promise of the purpose of God. And you see that partially from the question, but you also see it from things God brings directly into the experience. Remember in verse 1, it says, all of this is happening in a vision that God gave to Abram. So everything that happens here is something that God started. And one of the things we notice, look at some of the language here. You, You almost want to feel what's going on so you understand God's saying it's okay for it to be dark and struggle at times. What does it say in verse 12? I told you last week, watch for the beholds. Okay, it's a very important Bible word. Behold, pay attention, look at this. Last week, behold the word of the Lord. Here, there's two of them. The first one here is, it says in verse 12, behold, a thick and dreadful darkness came on Abram. Now, where'd that come from? It's God's vision, came from God. Behold, a thick and terrifying, dreadful darkness comes on him. And then you go, on, you go on to see a little bit later. Here, this is interesting. Whenever you're reading part of the Bible, remember, they're writing this on scrolls, so what gets included is important. Holy Spirit of God's inspiring this. The details matter. And there's weird details in the story. Do you notice this? It says he cuts the pieces there, and birds of prey come down and tr- start attacking the meat. And he has to shoo them off. What in the world? Why would they put that in there? Listen, the whole scene is letting us feel what God says is going to happen For the next 400 years, I'm giving you a promise, but it's not going to happen right away. 
So some of it will feel like darkness, that dread that comes on him. Some of it will be outright opposition. They're actually predators that will come in and try to attack. They are in slavery for 400 years. Do you feel this? God says, I'm giving you my promise, but I'm not holding back on the truth. I'm shooting straight with you. God said, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be clear. There is struggle and doubt and difficulty and pain and obstacles, even when you're in the middle of the vision of God's promise. So I think this is so helpful for us to recognize because I don't know about you, sometimes when it says you can feel this dark and dreadful thing in the story, sometimes I feel that when I look at the world, don't you? Sometimes it's heavy out there, isn't it? I'm going to look at the news this week, man. There's a guy standing on stage. I mean, they've been trying this. If you don't know this, they've been trying for decades to take this guy out. Salman Rushdie goes and they violently attack the guy standing on stage. He was literally issued a death threat because he wrote a book. He had the audacity to write a book that said Muhammad isn't perfect. Did you know even in the Islamic faith recognizes, I'm not picking on any faith, uh, Islamic faith recognizes Muhammad's not perfect. He's not Jesus, and they will admit that. But he has the audacity to write about that, and they issued a death threat that's been standing for decades, and somebody tried to do it. And do you ever see stuff like that and think, God, what are you doing? And a darkness Feels like it's sitting right there. God says, listen, people of God, don't be shocked when it feels dark. Don't be shocked when there's struggle that goes on in the world. By the way, Jesus says the very same thing. Picture this. In the middle of the most cosmic promise that God will make in the Old Testament, really carries on to the New, he also says it's dark and scary. Did you know Jesus says the same thing? In the book of John, we have this section where uh, it's called the, the discourse before he dies in the book of John. And, and there's a lot of promises Jesus gives. One of the best he gives is the promise of the Holy Spirit. He said, you don't have to waste. It's not just that you're not going to school alone because we're praying for you. You're not going to school alone because the Holy Spirit of God is there with you. And Jesus says, you don't have to worry. I'm leaving, but I'm coming back, not just from the dead. I'm coming back in the Holy Spirit right now. Now, listen, that's a staggering promise. But do you know in the middle of that promise, do you know what he said? John 16, verse 33. It's a really important verse. Jesus says, in this world you will have, some of you know it, what? You're going to have trouble. Hear me. It's going to be hard. Then he says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Do you feel the promise, but also the clarity of God to say, it won't always feel like the promise. <laughs> there will be struggle and there will be darkness. And for the life of me, I don't understand why church people are shocked at this sometimes. We're shocked that the world is worldly. We're shocked that the world is difficult. We're shocked there's opposition to things. Jesus said it. God said it to Abram. It's always been true. He doesn't hold back on us. Recognize that's part of the journey. And by the way, if it's hard for you, welcome to the club. It always has been. And God says there is room, even in the middle of a conversation with the father of faith, to say, hold on, God, really? Can you help me with this? And God does. So the first thing he does is he says, I want you, what I want you to do, I want you to lean into the liberating trust in the promise of God. Lean into, what do I mean by that? God says it is freeing to stop looking at the struggle and the darkness and look more deeply at the promise. As we said last week, the whole story of Abraham, not just here, but his whole story, is all about vision and where you look. 
Don't look in the darkness. Look to the promise. And God's going to go out of his way to keep drawing his attention up to the promise and the power of God and not to the circumstances all around us. Notice how he does this in several different ways. First of all, he is in the present moment reminding him of his faithfulness. Everything he's saying here. Do you get this? This is one of the things I love about God. He knows we need to be reminded. He's already said all this. You're going to get a child. I'm going to bless the world. You're going to get land. It's going to be the launching pad of the blessing. He's already said all of that in chapter 12. We also know from the Bible, did you know it says it is impossible for God to lie. All he's got to do is say it once. And it's true. But he's working with us. And so I love that he has this whole chapter here. And by the way, he has it again in chapter 17. He keeps renewing the promise. In the present moment, he, he's saying, look, I haven't forgotten. I know it doesn't feel like it yet. I'm still here, and I'm going to still keep my promise. Do you feel that in the present? Now, here's what's beautiful. Watch the details in the story. He also foreshadows his future faithfulness. Maybe you caught it this way if you've been reading the Old Testament recently. This is how this whole passage starts today. I am the Lord your God. I'm Yahweh, right? I'm the, his personal name, Old Testament. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of... Now, if you've been reading your Old Testament, you might finish that sentence a little different than it was here. Have you heard this line before? I'm the Lord your God that brought you out of what? Egypt. That's what we expect to hear because it happens all the way throughout the Bible. Did you know, by the way, we're talking about really important promise moments in Exodus... And in Deuteronomy, the two places we get the Ten Commandments, which don't think of, of, of rules, think of them as uh, uh, wedding vows. God is giving a covenant relationship to Israel. Pretty important moment. Before he asked them to do anything, what does he say? I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. And he says the same thing here. It's just one word difference. Abram, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees. I, I'm the one, before I ask you to do anything, Abram, I'm already the one that brought you 75 years into your life out of meaninglessness and purposelessness into a purpose and a mission. I'm the one who did that. By the way, hint, hint, I'm the same God who's going to do it. I know it's going to be later. It's going to be 400 years later. You'll be dead and gone, Abram. But I'm telling you, I will be the Lord your God who brings your descendants out of Egypt. Isn't that powerful? He's the God who renews his covenant in the present. He foreshadows it in the future. By the way, isn't it just so rich, this passage? I told you last week we're going to do a lot of stuff with Romans. We're not. There's too much going on here. This is what he says. He also goes back to his past faithfulness. Did you catch one other little line in here? When he's doing this little ceremony, we'll talk more about it in a moment. It says, Abram fell into a deep sleep. You've been reading your Old Testament? Have you heard that language before? Don't feel bad if you haven't. That's why we do this. He fell into, yep. Don't get two chapters in the Bible. God is creating the world. And he makes, not Abram, he makes Adam. He makes the man. And yet it's not good. It's not complete yet. Only first thing in all creation that is not good. It is not good for Adam to be alone. So he causes Adam to what? Go into a deep sleep. And God creates. Guys, aren't you glad? <laughs> it's incredible. Looking at my wife, oh, thank God he created a wife and a woman and a partner in their relationship. Hear me, he's saying in the covenant moment of Abram when he's scared and uncertain, I'm the same God who's going to do it in Exodus. I'm the same God who just promised it to you in the moment, and I'm the same God. Hear me, it's like I'm creating again. 
Just like a ship with Adam and Eve, I'm creating a new relationship with the people of God and the world. Isn't that glorious? God says it is liberating when you lean into the promise and not into the darkness. Here's a thought before we even get to the end of this. Here's a thought. One way to apply what we're talking about here is to ask. I just did it as, a, as my own kind of little journal moment while I'm writing the sermon earlier this week. Take a moment and think, what is the promise that God needs to renew in your heart today? Is there a promise you need to hold on to? You're going into school again or you're going into the next stage of your life. You've got some issues that you're dealing with at work and you're uncertain about what's going on. What's the promise right now? Think about New Testament promise. I just jotted a couple down, but I trust that seriously, Holy Spirit, give the promise that you need for this week. One of them I thought about was, was the promise if you put together Romans and Matthew 3. Did you know the promise is in your moment where you declare your faith to Jesus in baptism, did you know God says the same thing about you that he said about Jesus? Did you know that? What did he say? If you put your faith into Jesus in baptism, you know what? You know what God says about you? This is my son, this is my daughter, and I'm delighted in them. And no matter what attacks you, no matter what sense of not living up to something the world might give you, God has already told you and promised you who you are in Christ. You're his boy, you're his girl, and he loves you. Maybe that's a promise you need to live into. But it's not just individual, it's corporate. I love Philippians 1. You ever fret about the church? Right? We were talking about this recently. Yes, numbers going up, numbers going down. By the way, worldwide, church numbers are going up. The kingdom of God is working. So don't think that we in America run everything. No. But here's the thing. Even when it's down and it feels bad, hear me. You know what God says? Philippians 1. He who began a good work in you, y'all, it's a church thing. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion on the day of Christ. He's not done. And he's going to take the people of God and the church of Jesus Christ as broken as we are and he's going to change the world. He promised it. Maybe we need to lean into that. Or in Romans 8, right? All of creation is groaning for this world itself to be redeemed and pulled out of disorder and decay. It's a promise. I'm just giving you examples I journaled off of in a moment. What is it? Holy Spirit, what promise this week do you need to say, God, would you renew it all over again? Remind me in the moment. Remind me of where you're going in the future. Remind me of past faithfulness. That's what the psalmists do. Oh, my goodness. It is liberating when we trust God's promise. By the way, he knows this is hard for us. He knows this is hard for us. So what I love is that he will give us symbols to tie into the promise. Right? We, we have an incarnational faith. God loves making it visible. Remember the story. It starts with a vision. He wanted Abram to see it. Last week, we, he said, look at the stars. This week is even... Right? There's a couple things that show the God making the promise visible. First is the ceremony itself. More on that in a moment where they cut these pieces. The other one, again, did you catch the detail of this? There are two things that go between the pieces of the sacrifice that's cut. Smoking fire pot and flaming torch. By the way, little note, Lori, who often helps me with the image for stuff, I told her you know, several weeks ago I'm going to do this, and the central image is this smoking fire pot. She came back and said, now, if you Google smoking pot, you probably won't get the images <laughs> that you're thinking about for this sermon. Just so you know, just so you know. So that's why we did <laughs> She said, that's why we got a little contract being signed, Jerry. It's not, it could have been a little different, but... 
All right, now you're going to remember it. Smoking fire pot, the smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Have we seen images like this elsewhere in Scripture? Smoke, fire. You remember another time when people were, people of God were uncertain and fearful for, I don't know, about 40 years and they didn't know where to go? How did God guide them? With a pillar of smoke, a cloud, pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. God says, I know I could just give you the promise. I could just give you a book, but I want you to see it. I want you to imagine it. I want to give you visual, visual tangible, powerful symbols of my ongoing presence because I know it's hard. That's why we will never apologize for doing the Lord's Supper every week. And we're not just checking a box. We need it. God says, I don't want you to just hear the promise that you're dead and you come to life in me and that Jesus is present here in the meal. I want you to taste it. And we might do it as a ritual and we might not even think about it, but it's in your body. And God says, that is the body and blood of Jesus. And over the course of time, tasting that will shape you. God says, I want you to taste it. That's why we do not apologize for taking baptism seriously in this place. Why? God doesn't want to just tell you, you were dead and we need to crucify that old self and raise you up. He doesn't want to tell you it. He wants you to feel it. You come out of that water and you're dripping wet new in Christ. And he wants us to feel that. Isn't it glorious that our God gives us visible tangible symbols of our faith. That's why I love Monty. Does, Monty kills it, by the way. I just thank God for Monty and the work he does in this church. But I, I love it. And Jenny, the work she does in this church to do. It, it, we don't just say, go pray for our students. There's a card with their name on it. It's a visible, tangible symbol of praying the power of God into the lives of our people. By the way, let's pray for our teachers, too, because they're on mission field there, too. Right? It's a, isn't that powerful? God says, I'm going to help you out with these visible things. So embrace them, turn to them. And all of this, God is doing this in this covenant ceremony in this moment. Why? What's the big deal about this cutting the covenant? He seals the promise to. He seals it. He says, this is something I'm banking on. Right? Next slide. Here's a picture of this. Take a look at this. I know you kind of got it, but I want you to get the picture of the scene here and what's going on. It was an ancient Near Eastern custom that when you made a covenant deal like this, next slide, Bob. when you make a covenant deal like this, one way that you seal the covenant and say this is really serious is you literally cut a deal, right? You cut the deal. So you would take the sacrifice, you would cut it, separate the two pieces. Now listen carefully. Uh, the custom was that both parties to uh, the covenant would walk between the pieces. Go look at Jeremiah 34 and you'll see this um, played out on the other side of failing the covenant. But you could probably imagine what's going on. They cut the pieces of this animal in half for the sacrifice and the parties, the two parties walk between the pieces. What are they saying by that symbol? If I break the covenant, what's going to happen to me? You get the picture? My life, they're saying, seal it with this. May my life become like the animals. If I break the covenant oath to you, you can take me out just like we took these animals. Do you see this? Now, remember the detail. In the ancient Near East, the two parties walk between the covenant pieces. They're saying you can do this to us, whoever breaks the covenant. 
So God is using that symbol here, but there's one very important difference. Did you catch additional promises in Scripture? This is not one. God said, I'm going to bless the world. I'm going to fix everything broken in this world, and I personally am sealing it, listen, on life. I'm not relying on you, Abram. Now, I'm brightening you in, and you've got stuff to do, and believe me, your actions will flow. But you just leave, just like the Exodus, you just sit there and be still. And God says, on my very life, I will fill the promise to fix a broken world through the bloodline of Abram. And they tried and tried and tried and tried. Israel tried and tried and tried and tried. And God says, through the bloodline of Abram, through the people of Israel, I'm going to bring my son Jesus. And on his life... He fulfilled the promise. Don't ever think when we come to these stories that Abram is such a great guy and I can't live up to his faithfulness. It's not about Abraham. It is about God who said, I will fulfill the covenant and then you can come join me. I'm going to get it done. And he did it in the life of his son. Now go read Romans. It's not just about you and Jesus under a tree. He's fixing the whole deal. All of the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus. Why? Because he promised to get it done no matter what. I'm going through the pieces. If you ever sit in a church and think, I don't belong here, welcome to the crowd. He said, I'm going first and you belong and I will credit it as righteousness and belong to the covenant community. Why? Because I went through it, not you. That doesn't mean we don't change. I can't imagine a more powerful impetus for change. By the way, if God says, I'm going to do this on my life, maybe that could give us some confidence to walk through a crazy and uncertain world. Don't you think? If God says, no matter what you see on TV, outside, no matter what's going on out there, God says, on my life, I'm going to get it done. Can we walk with confidence? Yes, we'll give our questions to him. At the end of the day, we caught confidently in the promise and purpose of God. I told you before, when we, before we moved here, and again, I may do it again, but I, I was a chaplain, volunteer chaplain for our sheriff sometimes. So I got a crazy call one day from uh, the wife of one of our most recent um, visitors at the uh, Williamson County Jail. <laughs> we'll put it that way. So she calls in and, and she said, I know your main job is to work with the deputies, but I actually need somebody to go and please visit my husband. He just got arrested. Can you go into the jail and talk with my husband? And this is what she said. Uh, I never asked them, by the way, what they do. I don't care about where they've been. I don't care about where they're going. But she volunteered it and she said, I will tell you, he did get arrested for violence. He was pretty violent, and he was a little bit crazy for a moment. She said, he's a really gentle and sweet man. That's what she said. Very gentle and sweet man. Like, okay. So I go down, and I sit in, as I often did. We called it roll call. It was a briefing for the one shift going on to the next shift, and they would catch you up to speed on what's been going on. People would check in, all that. They would always go around the room, by the way, and they would always give me an opportunity as a chaplain to say anything I wanted, and I don't take much of the time, so I would just say this almost every day. I would say, I'm here for you, and I got your back. That's all I would say. If you need anything, I'm here for you. You, you got our backs everywhere else, so I'm here for you. That's all I said. And so they proceed to kind of let the next shift know what had been going on in the previous shift, and they talked about, you know, for a huge chunk of that time, they were trying to subdue this inmate, and it literally took three of our deputies to get this guy down and subdued. Some of you are laughing because you know where this is going. Can you guess who the guy was? 
That's a guy I had to go, the sweet gentleman that I was supposed to go visit. Took three of our cops to get him subdued and into the next place. And I started getting a little nervous. <laughs> and so before it all finished, I said, you know, I never want to interrupt you, but I feel like I need to say something. I, I said, every day that I come in here, I tell you, I got your back. Today, I would ask that you would get mine, please. Because <laughs> I got to go down and talk to the guy you just talked about. By the way, six foot four, 300 pounds, and was not in his right mind. Okay, I walked down to solitary, and, and we're going down there, and, and um, when he found out I was a chaplain, he, he, he pulled a, put a mattress in front of him because he didn't have anything on, because I don't know if he was going crazy or they didn't want stuff on it, but, and he screamed at the top of his lungs. I'm going down the hallway, and I'm telling you, I know there's a sense in which he can't really get to me, he can't really do anything, but I, I'll be honest, I was terrified. I'm like, I'm going to go talk to this guy. But all of a sudden, I was walking, and the closer I got, closer I got, the more confident I got. You know why? Because of this moment. Every time we had a graduation of our deputies, I had the honor of being there. We actually did some training for them. So I spent four hours with them in their training, and I was there on that day when they held up their hand and they took an oath. And their oath was to defend and protect people like me with their life. So even though it's terrifying for me to walk into my calling in that moment, something in me said, I'll be okay. Why? Because they would die before they would let anything happen to me. And listen, church, so did he. God says, I'm going to fix you. I'm going to fix what's broken in this world. I'm going to fix what you are crying out in your soul to be different. God says, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it on my life. So can we walk as a church in this crazy and uncertain world with confidence in the promise of God who says, you can sleep, and I'm going through it. Father God, that's our prayer. That as we lean into a new year, People are going to school and people are moving into retirement or people are coming into the city and people are stepping back into work rhythms and all of that. You have sent us into this world for a purpose and a mission. And we will start by saying, how in the world will you use us? And you accept that question because you have made the commitment to go there first. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for giving your life so that this world and all of us that are trying to serve you in it can be different. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray.